Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a CC Radio podcast. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like, the feeling. I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling. Like, you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight down the tree. All we get is a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed, and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Believe, Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au, or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review, or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family, and that will help us grow. Tonight, I'm joined by John Sample, and he's the director of the documentary Extraordinary, The Seeding. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kate. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. It's exciting to have you on, mate, because I don't get a lot of documentary makers on the show to uh, talk about these projects that they've worked, that they've really worked on. And I am, I have to say this, I'm, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the way you've done your documentary because I believe it is shot in a way that is completely different from any other type of documentary in this genre because a lot of documentaries out there, they really do try to push a narrative and yours is done in a way where it's a little bit more open-ended and you can kind of take from it what you will. And what I really do like about it is at the start of the documentary, you say, if you don't believe this type of thing, this documentary might not be for you. What got you into this whole genre? Well, it started way back in the 90s, actually. Uh, my my production partner, uh, Jack Roth, and I were doing paranormal investigations. He was more deeply involved in it and kind of brought me along for the ride. He had an experience at a plantation in the south of the United States, captured some photographs that were analyzed and proved to be pretty pretty astounding to some experts. And then we went back and got an audio recording, some EVP that was profound. And that kind of got us down this path of, well, let's do a show on paranormal. And we put together a 10-minute proof of concept uh, trailer, sizzle reel for a show idea and pitched it around and it kind of got rejected. Uh, several years later, the the most haunted show became very popular over in Europe and it was a huge success. And it was exactly the show that we had pitched several years earlier. So we kind of were ahead of our time with that. But fast forward to 2008, Jack and I started talking about doing a roadshow documentary in the southwest of the United States where there's a lot of activity and uh, we were just going to go to you know a lot of different spots and document uh, you know interviewing people the locals to try to get a flavor of what had happened there but then he went to a conference where he was introduced to the Stan Romanek story and he called me up and said I, I got a better idea let's let's focus on that so we we wound up uh, working on that film in 2000 it took a while to get it off the ground from 2009 to 2011 before it became kind of a greenlit scenario for a variety of different reasons even change of production companies and we um, made that film 
put that out, uh, self-distributed it, didn't have huge success. And then out of the blue, uh, a few years later, we get a phone call from uh, 1091, which before was The Orchard, saying that they wanted to, to distribute the film. So we had thought, you know, it w- we were over and done with. We made the film. It didn't get huge exposure, but they said they wanted to distribute it and it wound up on Netflix and then boom, we were off and running. And they said, what do you want to do next? So that kind of got us, okay, where do we take the narrative that was established in the first film and kind of continue with that idea of leading people on a journey from lights in the sky to abduction to hybridization programs and then, you know, kind of go deeper and deeper and show different perspectives of that story. But one of the big things that we wanted to accomplish in our films was to ask the question, what if this is all true? And also tell the story from the human perspective as opposed to the phenomena perspective. So that made a huge difference in, I think, the the narrative of our films compared to some of the things that are out there. And I don't mean to you know belittle the films that are out there or discredit anything that's out there. I think they all serve an important role. But we felt that there were so many films out there that focused on the phenomena and the lights in the sky and what was happening. And, and is it all true? Are there do we believe in aliens? Are, are they here? And, and just focusing on on that and less and less was attention was paid to the emotional impact on the individuals. So in the Stan Romanek film, there is a lot of focus on what happened to him and how the impact of that experience on him and his family. And then in this next film, it became very apparent to us through the process of the interviews that we did, the people that we met along the way, the feedback that we were getting, that we we were we needed to tell an even deeper emotional story. And what was a kind of a driver for that was after the Stan Romanek film, Extraordinary, the Stan Romanek story came out, There, we received hundreds of private emails and direct messages saying, thank you so much for making this film. I realize that I'm not crazy. I realize that what happened to me is has happened to other people so many different people who were living in in fear or not sharing their story or an isolated and feeling alone that this is something that they really couldn't share was having an impact they felt that they now had a voice so that was important to us that we were representing people's experiences so that really kind of set the tone for our approach in the in the in the second film that we wanted it to be much more of the viewpoint of the individuals who are having experiences rather than the experience phenomena it makes such a huge difference to being able to connect to a story and just to the storytelling in general because when you have that emotional connection or that emotive pull to a certain situation it makes it so much more personal to to someone mm-hmm. watching that and to someone who may have experienced something similar. It, it's a really great mm-hmm. way for someone who's watching to connect to something like that. So I think that is a really, really smart move and a really clever way of doing your your storytelling throughout that documentary. Yeah, we we it wasn't we didn't find the sweet spot until we were in the middle of the interview. So we had the kind of the narrative story outline that we wanted to to tell. And it was primarily the, the focus on unexplained pregnancies. And uh, in doing the interviews, we found out how vulnerable the individuals that we interviewed were willing to be, which took us to a whole nother level. The fact that these people were willing to expose themselves was brave. Uh, they could have been subject to ridicule, but we felt compelled to serve their stories. Therefore, it was important to us to make sure that they weren't misrepresented. So many people who have who have had experiences have shared with us that every time somebody wants to do their story, they do it in a way that makes them look silly or foolish, or they're only taking a small portion of their story and misrepresenting their story. And we we had to promise everybody that we were going to do right by them in order to get them to believe, to be comfortable, to, to be comfortable with who we were and what we were going to do for them, because we only had the first film to point to. And that, that helped, I think, a little bit too with the people that we wound up using. But they were... Um, they were willing to go there. And it was during the Melinda Leslie interview. Um, she's an experiencer and she's pretty well known within the UFO world in the United States. And she is not one to be 
overly emotional. She kind of keeps that in check. And she broke down a few times and was angry and was upset and was feeling feelings that were not something she presented on a regular basis. And it was in that moment I was like, this is the heart and soul of the film. This is really what this is going to be about is the showing compassion toward people who've had an experience that we might not, us non-experiencers might not have uh, room for in our heads because we don't, we can't comprehend it, but we can still be compassionate. And that really was a message that we wanted to drive home. Absolutely. Because with, with her story, it, there's, there is a moment in this documentary, I, I reckon there is two moments in this documentary where it really swings you and it really hits you hard. And one is her story where she potentially, uh, where she sees her, I guess you would call it a hybrid child and right. doesn't, doesn't emotively react to it the way that I guess the, these creatures thought that she should and they take it away from her. And that, that's a mm-hmm. real, real gut punch throughout this documentary and you can see how how terrible she felt about that and she was 100 percent open and honest about that and you really do your heart really actually bleeds for this woman because that that situation would have been just absolutely terrible Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we we felt those moments there and when i spoke i mean as an interviewer and as a an empath myself i i was tearing up several times during these interviews with people because they were bearing their souls and it, 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 it's just hard to watch somebody tell their story and get emotional because you can tell that they're being true to themselves by being that honest. And personally, I have not been abducted. I've seen things lights in the sky, but I have never been abducted. To my knowledge, I have no awareness of it. Therefore, I can't relate to that. But I could see somebody in pain. I can see somebody who was reliving an experience by telling their stories. And I'm sure the other one was Rob and how emotionally devastated he was by, you know, the experiences that he had. To this day, he still struggles with what does it all mean and what is my role in it, which is I think a lot of people have those challenges when it's especially when it's relatively new to them. Absolutely. Rob's. I would say journey throughout that documentary, the the series of events that he explains is it's heartbreaking. It's, it's terrifying because he has no idea why he's getting taken. And his situation is so different from everyone else in this documentary, because everyone else in this documentary that you speak to are women. He's the only man. And the way his situation is handled it's it's so different from from the women because you you see a a genuine pattern with how the the women's procedures happen there's 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 some sort of common element throughout that but for him it all seems to be terror based in in my opinion because nothing that he he experienced was enjoyable at all no. And he it's interesting when we first started talking with him, too, because he he was the one who when he shared his story and when we talked to him on the telephone, we screened every look, just go a little bit. We we talked to over 30 people to be in this film and we screened some people. And, and the primary objective was who was willing to bear their soul. And we had numerous phone calls with everybody. It was in it several hours before we chose the people that we thought would be the most compelling stories. One, they had to be comfortable in telling their story and willing to go there. That was very, very important. Two, they had to be believable. And and we were really going for the everyday person, someone you would see it, it, across you know, the, the aisle at the office, someone that could be a family member, some could be your next door neighbor. We wanted people to see that this is not just happening to people in the fringes. This is happening to people you know, all walks of life. So we wanted to have that kind of cross-section and representation in the film. So we talked to a lot of people and, and some of the people we spoke with weren't willing to, they, they were willing to, to talk to us, but once they started to realize how deep we were going, they felt they couldn't tell their story. 
So they, they kind of kept it like, I, I want to go there, but I'm not ready to do that. Whether it was due to job exposure, uh, was it, whether it was due to what impact it could potentially have on their family and for the rest of their lives. So we, we, we did have the one woman who was screened, silhouetted and had her voice changed a little bit. We felt that was important too, because we wanted to show that there are people who just can't talk about their story, not willing to go on the record, but would be willing to share it so that the people who have had experiences realize that there are voices out there who've had some compelling stories happen to them and that they were they were they weren't willing to go out and, and be exposed. But we felt that it was very important for people to talk about it. So that was another theme in the film is that if you've had experiences, find your find your community, talk to somebody, get it off your chest, find people who've had experiences that can relate to you as opposed to trying to tell somebody who doesn't understand or won't understand you or might react negatively to you. But back to Rob's story, Rob was very different when we started talking to him because it wasn't like your typical abduction, uh, sexual reproduction story. So there's plenty of uh, stories and we spoke to several men who we ultimately didn't use in the film because they disqualified themselves because they didn't want to take the risk or we just felt like there wasn't enough information to kind of justify a an accurate story of what it was like to go through the abduction from uh, sexual reproduction experiments from a male perspective. But for uh, Rob, his was unique in the sense that it was about shared consciousness as opposed to traditional, you know, what we would term sexual reproduction, you know, between humans. But it was important that we wanted to make that point. And if we we definitely could have used another hour to tell his story to make it even more clear. But, you know, it, it, the message there really is, is that there's not just one type of sexual reproduction or reproduction of humanity in in, in the, the sense that we would look at it in a colonization or reproduction or shared genes, DNA type of story. His was about consciousness and his experiences with that and the shared consciousness and what he was shown was to be part of a program. And he kind of pulled himself out of it and said, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to be the person who is uh, exposed to shared consciousness. And he had some experiences where that happened. He still has experiences to this day, but he's kind of pushed himself away to the point is like, I don't volunteer for this. I, I didn't sign up for this. And he hasn't had uh, like it's been more a matter of what he's been shown as opposed to what he is continuing to experience in an ongoing way. But that the big point we wanted to make there is that there's a lot of different ways that this could be happening. And we wanted to include his story because, one, he shares it so openly and and two how it's impacted him. And he's willing to say that I went from being a normal guy with everyday things that we all deal with to my life flipped over upside down as a result of these experiences that I started to have and continue to have. Yeah. And those experiences that he had, I mean, one of the experiences where he, he woke up in a, in a tube mm -hmm. in, in something mm -hmm. else's body. And I couldn't even imagine the fear that will go through you when you wake up in, in not, a, not a human body, but a body that you don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, for him too, that part of that was is that prior to that experience, he was given kind of like a tour of of this facility where there there were these tubes and these beings suspended in, in fluid in these tubes, and he said it was like they were a bunch of clones, and he didn't quite understand what was going on there. And then in a future experience, he said he had he was in one of those tubes. When he looked down at his hands, it, they weren't his hands. They were a, a being's hands. And, and he said he freaked out, you know, and they realized that he was freaking out and that he was conscious of, of that from the Rob perspective, as opposed to his consciousness being inside the being. So, yeah, that that his that story um, and, and the way he shared it is is harrowing. It, it is, you know, he he is very vulnerable with how it's impacted his life. He he goes, you know, on this roller coaster ride of emotions to sharing his story, to being very emotional about the impact that has on it. But just like he's a better person for having been through because he better understands that humanity is just a small portion of what's going on out there from what he's experienced. And we just want to do justice to those stories and let people know that. And we had the same type of response to this film as we did the first film, which was thank you so much. You you've humanized experiencers from being 
crazy fringe people to normal people who are dealing with something so profound that people who have not had the experiences can't comprehend it. The compassion was very important for us in the film. And that's actually something that I want to touch on there because, like you said, it's it's very easy to to go out there and make a movie about this this type of thing, and it's easy to fall into the trap of um, it's easy to seem crazy about this type of subject because it is it's so difficult for for the average person to to wrap their head around to to understand and to and to fully embrace this type of thing. How did you go about making this movie and not have any of those, I guess, prerequisites in mind? How did you stay neutral throughout the whole thing? Well, my my approach to this has been I let let Jack uh, Roth be the one who does the deep dive research, who 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 is willing to go as far down the rabbit hole and then come back you know, and have a discussion. So he and I will sit down and talk about these ideas. And I'm looking at it more from a, tell me about this. Tell me these stories. Tell me these things that you're learning about. And I become fascinated by them. So instead of doing the deep dive research myself, I had become the inquisitive person sitting across from these people, asking it from the point of view of the person watching the film. So, you know, my level of, of awareness is much deeper than people who potentially watch these films, but it's not as deep as people who are hardcore ufology believers. And our approach to the filmmaking is that we don't want to focus our target audience on people who already believe. We want to move the conversation from the shadows into the light. So our objective one of our objectives as filmmakers in J3 films is to reach the widest audience possible and ask the question, what if this is true? So to reach the widest audience possible, you have to tell a story from a perspective that resonates with anybody. So the approach with this film was, if we told a story about compassion and made people realize that there are people suffering, that I might not be able to understand it. I don't understand somebody who, if if I've never lost a child, I don't know what it's like to lose a child. If I've never been through a serious disease and come out the other sides, I don't know what, what that's like. But we can have compassion for those situations. We can be there for people. But a lot of times when people share their story as an experiencer, as an abductee, people walk away from them. Why? They've gone through something traumatic. It's still trauma. No matter how you look at it, it's trauma. Whether you believe it or not doesn't necessarily mean that you should walk away from somebody who's going through something you don't quite understand. So that that became a driving force for us is to tell the story from kind of like the inquisitive individual who may be just scratching the surface on this and 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 not kind of go too, too far down a a. Uh, science fiction or ufology believer perspective. We wanted to keep the story kind of as mainstream as possible by dipping into something that would be considered more fringy by the masses. One of the things that I did like that you you focused on, and I, I don't know if you intentionally focused on this as much as I, I think you may have, but you touched on that there was a lot of family support for every one of these individuals who have who have being abducted, had these experiments, had these this 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 crossbreeding program essentially forced upon them, because that's something that really doesn't get covered in a, in a lot of cases. When you read about these things, you hear about these things. You don't hear about how it it actually affects the not just the the experiencer, but everyone who is connected to that experiencer. Mm-hmm. Well, our approach when we went into this film, there was three primary things that we wanted to achieve was raise awareness that this may be happening. Uh, I would say that we had a reaction from a lot of people uh, when we had screenings at film festivals, people who attended who, especially the, the first screening that we had was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which is where I lived for 20 plus years and had a lot of connections there. So did Jack Roth. So did Jamie Cernoff. We all had connections there. So we had, you know, a hundred plus people showed up for the screening who were friends of ours supporting us, you know, that weren't necessarily believers. But when they saw the film, their initial response was, I had no idea that this was even a thing. One. And two, I felt so emotionally connected to the individuals in the film that I just wanted to hug them. I wanted to help them. What could I do? Which is really what we we wanted to go. So there was three parts of the film. One, raise awareness that something like this may be happening. 
What if it's true? Two, to understand that somebody's going through something and just because you don't understand it doesn't mean you can't be compassionate. So encouraging compassion from the masses. And three, if you've had an experience, you need to find your community. Find somebody who's willing to embrace you and, and, and share your story so that these stories are getting out there, but you're also feeling support as a result of sharing your story. So that whole idea of finding uh, a family or connecting with a a, uh, a, a experiencer group, uh, going to a, re, a recession, a regression therapy, something that's going to help you better understand what's, what's happened to you. And some people are afraid to do regressions because, uh, they don't know, they don't want the Pandora's box opened and, and, and learn all the details. Other people are willing to go there because they need to find the answers. So we wanted to kind of represent a little bit of all of that so that people understood that they're not alone and that there are opportunities to seek uh, additional answer answers to your questions if you were willing to go down that road. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Also, are you wanting more content? Why not become a Believe Plus member? You'll get access to exclusive podcasts and episodes that aren't available to the public. Not only that, you'll also get our regular feed without any ads. Head to believepod.com forward slash plus to sign up today for just $5 a month. So one of the things that I noticed during this film, and it it even seemed to, to cause a little bit of hesitation in yourself, is you, you're saying you, you touched on all these different subjects throughout this film of it being compassionate, showing that it affects more than just one person. Um, one thing that it does touch on, and this is another thing that I think is extremely overlooked when it comes to this type of thing, especially when it comes to this crossbreeding thing, um, is the word rape. Mm-hmm. And this was this was something that you touched on, and you you did it in a way that every every person who was affected by this got to say how this affected them. And I thought that was a really really important thing to to touch on in this film. Yeah, it was one of those moments when one of the first interviews that we did. For the, well, the very first interview that we did was with Niara, and uh, two days later we did the interview, deep dive interview with April, and both of them used the word rape in their descriptions, and that I was not prepared for that. I was not thinking that that was going to be something that showed up, and in the film, uh, you can hear me ask the question to April, you mentioned the word rape. You know, that that's a that's a profound statement. It is it, it's a two by four to the head when you're not expecting it. So I wanted to include that moment because it was in, in her story. She had been taken and forcibly penetrated several times. She said, I think it was five times that that had happened to her and her her storytelling, although she doesn't get emotional, she tries to keep herself in check as much as possible. You know, she gets quieter. She slows down her storytelling. She's trying to hold her emotions in. And I think that made for a profound moment in the film, too, because it's it. There is the room was definitely, definitely, definitely silent when she made that statement. And I this the hair stood up on the back of my neck. I had goosebumps. I started tearing up. I'm like, oh, my God, this is people are going through these experiences multiple times, not just once. And Yara did the same thing when she was sharing her story. I felt so bad for her uh, because her story was when she told it to us that there were witnesses in the room that were that were watching this. April shared the same thing. You know, two days later, we had, you know, similar storytelling. And it was just like, wow, this is it, it is dehumanizing. It it's is debilitating to have something like that. How do you how does that affect you when you hear all these separate I guess, cases of this happening all being so similar. 
Well, I think what we wanted to accomplish by uh, and and we we did a really good job of screening people to make sure that their stories would be uh, compelling stories to hear, listen to, and witness. But we also wanted to make sure that there were there were some you know commonality between those so that we could make sure that there was uh, you know can pick up from one story and go to the next. But we didn't expect the raw emotion that came through. We didn't expect some of the details that were shared that made us realize that this wasn't about, uh, it wasn't necessarily about the, the whole idea of reproduction experiments. This was about the impact on the individual from an emotional standpoint. And we didn't know that we were going to capture that going into the film. But we realized once we were done with the interviews that we had a completely different spin uh, on the story, which was an emotional story as opposed to the the experience of uh, or, or the fact that this was happening to individuals, that multiple women have had these experiences. That was really the message we initially wanted to go to is that this is happening and a lot of people don't know about it. So let's get some people out there who are willing to tell their story about unexplained pregnancies. But what we found was the, the deep, raw emotions that turn their lives upside down. It, and it really does because in the film, Sierra, she is in a gay relationship. So that has so many repercussions for her ongoing life that I, I, my understanding is that that relationship potentially ended because of these situations that she was then put in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it did. So she talks about that. There was a level of trust that was betrayed, you know, and, and that whole idea is like, I want to believe you. And, and the funny thing about her story, not, not necessarily funny, but strange thing about her story is that Sierra at that time was not a believer. You know, she thought it was a little bit crazy, but her girlfriend was. Her girlfriend was much more into that. And when this all started happening and unfolding for her, uh, the whole idea of being pregnant and never having been with a man and this is from Sierra's perspective, but from her girlfriend's perspective was how else could you get pregnant? Yeah. You know, you had to be with a man. So she said that created, you know, rift between her and her girlfriend and it eventually led to the end of their relationship. So th- those are the type of things too, that, you know, even the, um, the woman who was silhouetted, she talks about talking to her husband about it. And he's like, I believe that you believe something happened to you. Which is is that's supportive, but it's not necessarily saying that he believes that it happened. I'm 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 trusting you. I believe you. I don't necessarily believe it. So uh, what do you do with that? How do you how do you deal with that? You know, when when you're talking to somebody, and that's one of the things that I thought again, Melinda, where she drove the point home is that if you have an experience and you're brave enough and have the courage to come forward and share your story and somebody doesn't believe you, you're traumatized all over again. So how many times do people who've had these experiences keep it in? And since, since the film has come out, I've had numerous email and uh, direct message exchanges with people who have said, I've never told my story to anybody. This is the first time I'm sharing it oh, wow. with you. And it's th- those are the type of things that, you know, behind the scenes, it makes you feel like we're doing we're doing something important. We're doing something good because yeah. it's making people realize that they're not alone. Yeah. And that's 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 a really important thing. At the end of the day, I mean, documentaries, they they get made because you want to be a storyteller. And mm-hmm. if you are actually helping people, that is such an added bonus to the outcome of of what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it has been a. A, a rewarding part of this. And, uh, that's, uh, it, it had been intentional too, because when we started to, uh, develop the Stan Romanek story, the, the thing that pulled us into that story was the amount of evidence that he had documented over the years. So we had tons and tons of evidence that we, we spent a week, um, at his house going through, the video, the audio, the the documents that he had had, the photographs, just just pouring over everything. And once I had a chance to go through all that, I was like, there's enough here. It's very unusual that somebody would have all of this. This is a story worth telling. But what we found out in, in the deeper dive was that the impact on the indiv- individual is, is horrific. And not just of the abduction experience is how he's treated. Once he tells his story, he is dragged through the mud. He is ridiculed beyond belief. He's just defamed. He's, you know, it's just, 
an awful experience for ind- individuals. And I have, you know, is, are these things true? I don't know. They're fascinating stories. I can't prove them one way or another, just in the same way I can't believe I, I can't prove in the existence of God. I can't prove it, but there's faith that that tells you that I'm going to believe in it. I'm going to embrace it. I find similar uh, similarities within the ufology world. People who believe they believe in something so strongly because of how it has impacted their lives that I can't question that because I don't know the answers. But we can tell the stories. Those are stories that are worth exploring because they're they're profound to the individuals who've experienced them. And when we started digging deep into the Stan Romanek story and got to the emotional core of it, it was the impact this was having on him and his family's lives, how they were being just it, their day to day existence was different than anybody else's that you could possibly you, you can't imagine what somebody is going through until you're with them and seeing that. And the, you know, so many people would say, well, these people are just looking for attention. And my response to those who are skeptical or non-believers is I would if you spent a week with one of these people and really got to understand their story and what they're going through and how it's impacted their lives, you you would probably have a different perspective. They're not they're, they're not hoaxing. They're not looking for attention. Um, you know, they're they're they've had something profound happen to them and they they're reaching out for help and acceptance and compassion. And those are stories I think that are worth being told. And one thing that I always say to people is, you know, these people are looking for fame, they're looking for money. And I always say, can you find me a famous person? who has been abducted, has, has right. had their life improved from something like this. Yeah, I, and, and we can say that this too, not that we, we know names, um, but we have had numerous conversations with insiders deep inside the experience and have had interviews with people and, and, and confidence in, in signed non-disclosure agreements with very famous people who have had experiences, not necessarily celebrities, but politicians, wealthy business people, celebrities as well that are like, I cannot tell my story, but this happened to me. Uh, we, we, we learned of a story that happened in, uh, in, uh, I think it was in the Midwest in the United States where a very prominent figure called in MUFON to explore something that happened and the encounter uh, when they went to explore it, there was a face-to-face encounter with a being. This oh, is with wow. a researcher. And uh, it had such an, a, a profound impact on that individual uh, that they had been doing this research for a long time and took more of a scientific approach. But when when you come face-to-face with something that you have been researching but never had experienced anything like it, the, the impact is tremendous. So it was more a matter of one of those See, I told you that this was happening to me. And those are the type of stories that you wish you could get out there because everybody can relate to somebody who, who is a public figure or well-known, but those people are not willing to go there because they think they're going to be relegated to the fringes. And that's awful that that's happening. So one of our objectives in telling these stories is to take, like I said earlier, move the stories from the shadow into the light, make them conversations for the masses, you know, as opposed to something that is considered, uh, you know, fringy and crazy and tinfoil hats and, you know, all that stuff. So through doing these two films, have you created your own judgment on what may be happening here? Do you think there's something otherworldly? Do you think there's something else happening here? And not to say, you know, it's this is just your opinion. It's not saying this is definitely what's happening but has something influenced you to think in a certain way well i i look at it from kind of the the cosmic perspective that i would have is that you know whether you believe in religion whether you believe in metaphysical whether you believe in in science and energy and physics something started this whole grand universe of ours and if that's true we all came from whatever that start was so we're all connected. I don't see this as an us and them. I see this as or a, 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 a us versus them. I see this as a we. <laughs> so from that point of view, I look at it as we're cosmic brothers and sisters. So why are we so afraid of this? Why are we so uh, willing to create such boundaries between this? So if this is indeed happening, I don't think it's unusual. I don't think it's strange. I don't think it's it's 
bizarre. I'm, I, I embrace the idea of what if this is true. I embrace the possibilities of something unexplained becoming clearer, um, whatever that might be. And if there, if these people are hoaxing, and, you know, I, I say this about the Stan Romanek story is that if he's hoaxing, he is the greatest <laughs> actor of all time. No one could do what he's been able to pull off. It is profound. And I just and having met him and this is I don't mean this in a negative way about Stan. I just don't think he's capable or willing to go to those extremes. I just don't. Uh, so I, I, I err on the side of. The idea that somebody who's had something happen to them is uh, uh, profound in the sense that it's altered their lives in a way that they can never go back. So that that's that impacts the individual for the rest of their lives. And like you said earlier, nobody makes money doing this. Nobody. And I, I'm so tired of hearing people's like, oh, he just wants to do it to sell books. What? So he gets a fifty dollar, you know, payment from his publisher. Yeah. Once a quarter. <laughs> Yeah, that's they're not making money. Any of the people who are doing the research are not making money. I, if I had a dime for every researcher, prominent researcher who says, I don't make any money from this. I'm doing it because it's important to document it. It's important for the future. And if all of this does one day become disclosed, then my work will stand as an important part of that progress. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's next on this this journey for you, John? Have you got something else in the pipeline is has something tickled your fancy doing all of this to go what's the next thing well when we had the uh, original discussion um with uh, the orchard at the time now 1091 media where they said okay the, the first film did very well when it was picked up by netflix and then it got a lot of traction they said what do you guys want to do next we're, we're willing to support you and we signed signed a, a distribution deal with them for five years and spent it since extended a couple times which is great it's awesome for us because we know that we have distribution moving forward but we kind of stepped back and said well with the stan romanek story we we told one person's individual story and what was great about his story is that he takes you from i saw lights in the sky I had an abduction. I had sexual reproduction experiments. I had hybrid children. And we thought that if we went full bore into the hybridization in the very first film, that we would lose the masses. We would definitely pander to the fringes, which I, I know people hate it when I say that, but that's true. It's a reality. A of lot the of situation. these films are made that way. Here's our target audience. What are they going to respond to? Boom. So uh, we said, well, what if we take that journey a little bit further? What if we, we kind of left off with the hybrid children in the first film? So let's jump into that and dive deeper into that storytelling in, in the second film. So we pitched a trilogy to the, the orchard at the time. And they said they liked the idea of kind of, you know, leading the horse to water, getting them to drink and then, you know, getting them full bore sitting in the trough bathing type yeah, of thing. Yeah. So the, the the third film that we're working on, each of these stand alone. They're not like continuations of, you know, where you put them together. They're like, oh, this one left off here. This one picks up there. It leaves off the next ones after that. But the third film, we're going to kind of take it even deeper into uh, the journey of historically, this has been happening for millennia. So the evidence that exists and there's a lot of the ancient aliens show type of shows that have deep dived into the, the historical part. We want to bring that a small portion of that into the that there has been proof of this and documentation of this for thousands of years. So that's part of it. The second part of the film is going to focus on the, uh, the belief that aliens exist. They're abducting people. There's hybridization programs. There's millions of people who believe in this, but there's three primary paradigms where people are focused. They all believe in the exact same thing, abduction, uh, lights and sky abduction, reproduction purposes, but their outcomes are very, very different. So you have the uh, love and light or ascension paradigm. They believe that this is a positive event. You have the biblical narrative who says that this is leading to the second coming of Jesus. And then you have the colonization belief that they're here to take over the planet. 
all three are very, very different. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but all believe in this. So if you were to talk to three different people who believe in each one of those uh, those outcomes, they all believe in the existence of 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 beings from another planet or another solar system, another galaxy. But their outcome is very, very different. You know, so I kind of like look at that as like, well, we all may have different political beliefs, but, you know, we're all united in the sense that we're citizens of the country that we live in. But we we some are conservative, some are liberal, some are citizens. We're still united in being citizens of that. But yet we can be diametrically opposed in our, our, our viewpoints. So let's understand that that we can be united under the idea that there is something happening that we can't explain. But yet our outcomes are very, very different. We interview a lot of big names in the industry and there is a lot of tension around who <laughs> believes what and we expect that that tension is going to you know we have um some really good um insight from individuals who are defending ascension uh we have Mary Rodwell is in the film and she is very adamant about her experiences and the researches that she's done and the new human is the, the one book that she had written recently that the direction that she's going where that's leading. But yet she is very, um, kind of, I don't, I don't want to say she's rolling her eyes, but she's challenged by the other two paradigms and why they're saying what they're saying when she's like, my research does not support either one of those. And then you talk to somebody who's from the biblical paradigm, L.A. Marzulli, Timothy Alberino, who are very, like, this is what's happening. The Bible is 100% right 100% of the time. Everything that's happening is leading to where we are today. So you need to look at the biblical narrative. And then you have someone like Dr. Jacobs, David Jacobs, who is of the colonization. He said he's done over 3,500 regressions and interviews with people. He's like, there is only one thing that's going to happen. Everybody else is wrong. I'm right. So those things are presented in this film so that people can realize that expertise has been pointed at this topic for a long time, but the outcomes based on their belief structures and the research that has been done is very, very different. And then the third act of the film is going to focus on, on government involvement. And we talked to three different individuals who have had ex direct uh, exposure to the UFO alien phenomena while being uh, uh, employed by the government. Two direct, one indirect. Oh, wow. Uh, one, the, the one Lynn Buchanan, who is uh, featured remote viewing, one of the early remote viewers featured in the film, Men Who Stare at Goats. Yeah, right. He's, he basically comes out and says, I was never directed. I was never issued an order. But there was kind of like these, can you do this for me? Personal thing from military leadership. Uh, and we also uh, spoke with... Um, Two other government officials, government employee, yeah, government officials, a government um, military people who Clifford Stone's story is phenomenal. If you're not familiar with his name, look him up, his experience. It was the last interview that we did, and it was profound. It was unbelievably profound. It was emotional. He shared things with us that he said, I've never told anybody before. Oh, so wow. we're kind of excited that to 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 share some of these things in this film so yeah there was and dan sherman is the other person that we spoke with too so, um so th three names that people who are following ufology know who they are and know that their stories are pretty interesting so we want to take people from a journey this has been happening for thousands of years there's varying uh, belief structures and the government is very much involved and very much aware. So what we hope to accomplish at the end of this film is to say, okay, now that you've been presented from the lights in the sky all the way through to the government aware, you to further do your own research. You know, what do you what do you believe? Do you believe in one of these three paradigms or do you believe in something different? If something resonates with you, go and explore it. Find out more about it. Learn for yourself. Don't listen to other people. You know, formulate your own opinions, you know, based on what you experience, what you research, as opposed to what other people are telling you. That sounds like it's going to be amazing. It sounds so good. Yeah, we're excited about it. We're in post-production right now. And one of the things that I was hoping that we would have ready before you and I had a chance to talk today was our our, our uh, 
crowdfunding page. It's not up yet. We're hoping to have that up within uh, by the end of the month, first week of June. Uh, but we're we're in a position right now where we need you know additional funds to kind of get us across the finish line. We're kicking it off right now, uh, the post production, but we have a little bit of a gap. Uh, as a result of some issues that came up due to some of the delays with the coronavirus and things like that, where funding that we thought was going to come our way didn't. But we're we, we're excited about the idea of having people engage with us in in making this and say, I could be a part of this film. I want to be a part of this film. So if you're interested in learning more about that, we'll have things posted on our j3films.com website as soon as that's available. Our social media that we're engaged with on the most is on Facebook. Uh, so it's Facebook J3 Films. We also have uh, two film websites on Facebook for Extraordinary the Seating and uh, the Stan Romanek story. And what we'll do is we'll actually put all those links in the show notes. So when you do get that live, we'll be sure be sure to include that. So if anyone okay. does want to jump on board awesome. and support you, they uh, most definitely can do that because I think it is a uh, it's a fantastic series of films. Uh, honestly, it's one of the one of the best documentaries. It's completely unbiased, which is so important when it comes to this type of thing and and these types of topics because it's so easy to spin a narrative to to only show one point of view. And yours does a really fantastic job of giving everyone a platform and giving them their own voice. And it really does dive in deep on the the trauma that these people have gone through and how it's not only affected them, but their, their families as well. And I think that's that's incredibly important because that's a topic that it, it gets lost in the noise of of the craziness of what those situations are. So as a, as a viewer, I really appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of the the listeners of this podcast, they would appreciate it when they, when they go and watch it, because uh, the only thing I can say is go, go and watch this documentary because it is fantastic. And it is now available on a lot of platforms. Uh, the advertising video on, dis- on demand platforms are becoming more and more popular. Uh, we're seeing a move away from the Netflix type scenarios to more streaming scenarios. So it is available on Amazon. It is now becoming more available on some of these free uh, platforms. Um, we're, we'll be posting those soon on our it is available. You don't have to pay for it. If you don't want to, we encourage you to pay for it because it helps us pay the bills. And that's another thing, too, is that, you know, people ask, you know, oh, you're in it, you're in it for the money. It's like, no, I usually don't see a penny until a couple of years down the road. So we have to pay all the people that are involved in production and post-production before we as producers, you know, see a penny. So we're not paid up front. We're paid far down the road. But we think it's important to get these stories out there so that, you know, we're encouraging it. And so, we'll, yeah, if you follow us on our Facebook pages, you'll find out more information about where it's available for free to watch it and then also about the. The, the funding crowdsourcing or crowdfunding campaign that's coming up very, very soon. So we're really, really excited that. And I can't thank you enough for having me on. I know you and I have been talking for back and forth for months about getting this, this done. So I really appreciate the opportunity. And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au. Or you can message me on Facebook, and that's facebook.com forward slash Believe UFO Radio. Until next time, stay safe, and you've been listening to Believe Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.